the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Change your attitude, change your life's conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Most of us live every day overwhelmed and exhausted. We're always on the go trying to balance work, family, friends, and everything in between. Often it feels like our usual methods of coping no longer work. Today's guest, David Kuntz, says that it's time for something new, stopping. According to David, stopping is a gift to yourself. Knowing when to breathe and regain a clearer vision helps give you a fresh perspective and an inner balance. David has enjoyed several careers, including 19 as a Catholic priest, 20 years in the practice of psychotherapy, and over two decades teaching courses on managing stress and emotional health. He has authored seven books, most recently, The Art of Stopping, How to Be Still When You Have to Keep Going. Welcome, David. Thank you for joining us. Joan, it's great to be with you. Thank you. So, David, what inspired you to do the work that you're doing? How did you learn about stopping? Well, you know, Joan, it was really a very personal thing for me. Uh, I was a priest for many years and uh, going along fine. Everything was very uh, happy. I was a happy person, uh, very fulfilled as a priest. And then all of a sudden, the bottom fell out, the mid- huge midlife crisis. So not knowing really what to do, I, I uh, almost, you could almost say accidentally, I did nothing. I went away to the north coast of California, and I got permission from my bishop, and I, I spent a month in a small cabin on the north coast of California just looking at the ocean. I, I, I really didn't do anything. I took a watercolor class and painted some terrible pictures of the beautiful north coast and um, did nothing. I looked at the ocean and uh, just was still. And only later, after I had gone back to my life and realized what happened during that time, did I realize that that was stopping, that my my inner life became available to me when I spent enough time to be quiet, to hear that inner voice that I'm convinced we all have within us, that we're born with. We're born with the wisdom, all the wisdom we need to live the life that we need to live. It's there. It's, it's, it's in our human, our human beingness. But because of the incredible distractions and, and noises and rushes and, and all the things filling our lives with attention-grabbing ideas and moments, we don't hear that voice. And I'm convinced that the only way to hear the voice is to be still, is to be quiet, is to do as much as possible to do nothing. And that's what I call stopping. And, you know, the interesting thing, you're right, when you're quiet, you can hear the wisdom, you can get the guidance. But the problem is that we feel so guilty doing that because we're in this go, go, go mode all the time. When we sit right. and we're quiet, you know, we think we're doing nothing, but you say that actually doing nothing is doing something. So, you know, you, you just touched upon how we can benefit from that. But can you go a little bit deeper into how that actually makes our life more manageable? Well, uh, uh, yes. And, and one of the things I do with stopping is I divide it into three ways of doing it, which is, which are based on the amount of time that you give to stopping into still points, which are very brief moments of doing nothing, 
stopovers, which are a little longer, you know, an afternoon or a day or two. And then what I call grinding halts, which are really longer times of stopping, which some of us will probably never do in our lifetime. And often we do at transitional moments in life, a, a, a marriage, a divorce, a, a change of jobs, a moving, something like that. So, um, okay, why is stopping in, in any of those forms effective? Because it allows us to access our inner wisdom. And uh, as you indicated, one of the challenging things to do is to get people to actually do it because it feels silly. It feels waste of time. It feels like, what am I, why am I doing this? This is crazy. And, and uh, stopping is a hundred percent countercultural. It's not what our culture rewards or encourages. Nothing even near it. In fact, it encourages the opposite. Keep going. Keep working. Do as much as you can. Work overtime and so forth. So, yes, how to deal with the guilt that we feel uh, when we stop. Remember, this is a consummate gift to yourself and to your entire life. Because if you don't hear that inner wisdom, you're, you're going to end up one one day when you're too old and it's the cold dawn and in the morning and you wake up and realize, oh my gosh, I I missed it. I didn't do what I wanted to do. I didn't become what I wanted to become because uh, I, I, I didn't hear that voice. I was doing what the world told me to do. Keep going. Keep doing what, whatever, uh, you know, the, the, the popular culture tells you to do. So we have to somehow convince ourselves that that inner wisdom is worth the stillness and, and, and just get over the guilt. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I'm such a type A personality. You could probably hear that in, in the way I speak. And I'm okay. always asking questions, but I never mm -hmm. sit long enough to wait for the answers. And I think so mm -hmm. many of us do that. Yes, so, so true. Uh, I think it was Blaise Pascal that said, uh, all of human beings' problems can be attributed to the inability, our inability to sit still in a room. And that's so true. When, if you imagine, and, and, and uh, I encourage your, your listeners to just imagine themselves sitting in a room quietly, no distraction, nothing going on. You don't hear anything. You're just quiet in a room alone, safe. And I want you to stay there for an hour and do nothing. And I think most people would say, Boy, that's not, that doesn't sound attractive to me at all. That sounds like I, you know, because what happens, what happens is things come up and we're afraid of that quiet. We're afraid of that aloneness because who knows what's going to come up? Who knows what I'm going to start thinking about? Uh, in my experience as a therapist um, and, and even as a priest, what comes up is, is not nearly as bad as you think it might be. And if it is something serious, well, then you, have, you should face it anyway. Get some help and face it. So one way or another, accessing our inner life, that's, that's my key focus. Access your inner life because there is a, an immense amount of richness and wisdom. All the wisdom you need for your life is there. I'm convinced of that. David, is there a method that we should follow? Well, you know, I as, I as I mentioned earlier, I um, divide the stopping into three three ways. The first way, and the really the key the key to to get to to begin the practice of stopping is to do still points. What I call still points. A still point. Well, okay. Let's let's begin at the beginning. Let's let me give you a definition of stopping. Okay. okay. Stopping is doing nothing as much as possible for a moment or a month in order to wake up and remember who you are. So stopping is doing nothing as much as possible, a short time or a long time, for the purpose of, the purpose of stopping is to wake up, to be aware of the moment, mindfulness many people call it, and to remember who you are, really who you are in your deep core and what you want. Because and if you don't remember those things, then really you're, you're open to a tragic life. You're open to uh, the possibility of living your life according to what the culture tells you to do, which is basically tragic. 
because the culture is not going to tell you to do anything that uh, is anywhere near what your inner wisdom is going to tell you to do. So, okay, how do you get into stopping is with still points. Those brief moments in your day in which you stop, turn your energy in, say a prayer if you like that, say an affirmation if you like that, or do absolutely nothing. Just be still. Turn your energy in and then go back to your life. And if you dot your life, your day, with 10, 20, 30, 50 still points, I will guarantee that you'll come to the end of it more relaxed, more integrated, more aware of who you are, more aware of what you want than if you didn't. So getting into stopping, do still points. And and the, the, the advantage of still points, too, is, is you don't feel guilty about it because you hardly notice it. Uh, people in your life will not notice that you're doing a stopping. I like to encourage people to, for example, go to the bath, go into a bathroom, and if, especially if you can lock the door of the bathroom, and just look in the mirror, look yourself in the eye, then close your eyes, put a little cool water on your wrists, breathe, always breathe. That's so basic to any still point. Take a nice deep breath and remember why you're doing what you're doing and what you need to do it, and then go back to your life. No one will even notice. In fact, you can do it even I – I used to do it – I used to give uh, uh, seminars in stress management to nurses, and uh, I'm basically an introvert, opposite to, of you, as, as you acknowledge. And um, it, it was uh, – that kind of a presentation is very challenging for me. So what I would do during my presentations is do these still points. And no one would even notice that I was doing them because they were just a few seconds. Just take a breath, close my eyes, turn in the other direction, just turn around maybe and start again. No one would even notice that I was doing it. So that, that's the entry into still points, and especially if you're worried about uh, feeling guilty about doing nothing or taking a lot of time. Do a bunch of still points and no one will even notice that you're doing it. David, is the goal to eventually make those still points longer and longer, or just those few moments would be enough? Um, good question. Um, the goal is not necessarily to make them longer, but what my experience and what I encourage is that still points actually feel so good that you'll want to do a stopover. You'll want to take that whole morning or that whole day to be still and quiet and just fuss around and do nothing as much as possible. Um, but it'll, 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 the, the motivation is built into the accumulation of still points. So while the goal is not necessarily to do, uh, uh, to do longer stoppings, but the reality is I believe that that, that often happens. The pandemic David has caused a lot of people mm. to stop their lives, whether they like it oh, or yeah. not. They were brought to a grinding halt. Do you right. believe that we may have achieved some of what you teach without even realizing it? I think that's a good insight, Joan. Yes, I think that's a very good insight. Uh, we, this has been an enforced grinding halt for many people. One of the things I, I, I want to say about the pandemic, though, is that um, the pandemic has hit different people differently. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm now retired and live a very quiet life as an introvert. I'm, you know, I have a very quiet life at home. So the, the pandemic has not affected me nearly as much as it has it affected, for example, the young couple with two jobs and two kids and homeschooling. I mean, that is, that's a, that's a grinding halt for them, but they sure don't have a lot of leisure or a lot of time for themselves. So it's a very different experience for different people. Um, for those that, for like myself, that really have a lot of time on their hands that they didn't have, yes, this is like a grinding halt for them. For others, though, it isn't so much. And so I think they have to also uh, be aware of that and that uh, uh, still do the, the still points and the stopovers because their grinding halt is just a huge challenge. I feel, I feel so, oh, so deeply for those young people, especially the, the parents and with children at home, homeschooling and all that, that must be a, an incredible challenge. No, I, I agree. Going through what we've been going through, I, I say to myself all the time, I'm so happy that my sons 
are older and that I don't have to have those challenges that so yes. many of these families are facing. And, and really, right. for them, it is so important to take the time and reset, yes. really, to get that wisdom and just breathe. And, and you know, I, I can't even imagine the overwhelm that they're feeling. I can't either. I agree with you. And the pandemic, I think, in general, is much more challenging and difficult for younger people than it is for older people. And so I just encourage everyone to to do those still points and access that wisdom. And uh, and then I believe because that will feel so good to you and that will have such an effect in your life once you've done it for uh, a few weeks, a few months, a year, uh, then you will you'll just automatically do those stopovers on your own because because you'll like doing them. You won't feel guilty. It'll be it'll feel good. Uh, I always think of the story of the the executive uh, who is uh, climbing the ladder and she's uh, doing all the right things. She's climbing the ladder of success and she's getting promotions and she's doing very, very well. And when she gets to the top of the ladder, she realizes that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. And that's what stopping can help us avoid is getting to a point where it, it feels like it's too late. It's never too late. But it feels like it's too late that I've missed what I what I didn't want to miss. I've missed the most important things uh, that I wanted to be and do. David, from all your years of counsel, what about our teenagers and even our younger children? Can they mm. benefit from this practice? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, children are masters of this. You just watch a, 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 a small child playing alone and, you know, happy as can be content making imaginary friends and playing with this or that and the other thing and just happy in their own life in their own inner life really is which is 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 what's motivating that uh so they're naturals at it uh teenagers more difficult but the important thing here i think is for adults to give give two things to kids uh example is the main thing um, uh, and, and in that context, I think of a family I know about who uh, the the father decided to do a stopover uh, to go away for a day, and the kids said, "What do what do you, what do you mean you're going to go away for a day?" You know, they were really giving him a, a hard time about it. But I, uh, as as he did it, and as he explained what he was doing, and as he came back and so forth, that was an incredible example for those kids because he was taking time for himself to do what he needed to do. So, yeah, one thing is to give them your example and then give them time, give them space. We organize our kids so much today. We go to this group and that sport and that after school. And, of course, now it's so different with the pandemic. But in normal times, yeah, give your kids opportunities to just kick back. I can remember as a kid my my mother's saying, go outside and play. I, I don't think parents say that to kids these days um, uh, because they're worried that they're going to get into trouble or and, and, and sometimes it's a it's a valid worry. I don't I don't mean to underplay that. But kids don't have that that uh, quiet time to themselves. So give them opportunities and give them example. If you do, they're great. They're great at it. They, uh, in my experience, they love it. You know, I, I so often think to myself, I people that I meet like you and, and the information I learn and the lessons that you teach and all the other people that I interview, I didn't learn these things until I was in middle age and then I became a student of the work. And, you know, I, I see so often there are people my age that have so much that we have to undo about the way we're living our life. And, and I really pray and hope that we can give these tools to our children so that they can grow up with a really a stronger inner strength and a wisdom that some of us don't have in middle age. Yes, so true. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I came upon this late in life as well, uh, or at least in early midlife. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's so true. Give them the example because that's the powerful thing. They they might not realize it now, but when they get older, they'll say, "Oh, you know what? My mom did that. My my father was aware of that reality of life." And that's the most powerful thing you can do. You know, one of the the, the sayings I, I I really like is from Milan Kundera, who's a Czech novelist. 
And he has a saying that says, slowness is to remembering as speed is to forgetting. So if you slow down, you will remember what you need to remember and keep in mind what you need to keep in mind. But if you just keep going, just keep running, you forget. And then tragedies of all tragedies, you forget that you forgot. So you really don't have anything there to grab onto anymore. It's gone. You've lost it. And the only way I'm convinced to get it back is to just, you know, to put it bluntly, just shut up. Just Mm -hmm. be still. Just be quiet. And that's the hardest thing for us contemporary uh, Western uh, people and Western civilizations to do. It's a very hard thing to do. Our world is just screaming at us all the time and telling us what to do and advertising is, is encouraging it and blaring, blaring loudly and, uh, and cleverly and with, with an immense amount of psychological insight as to how to get to our psyches and to our wills. Uh, and we just become victims. It's very, very sad to me. The book is The Art of Stopping, How to Be Still When You Have to Keep Going. If you'd like to learn more about David and his work, you can visit davidkuntz.com. David, in about 30 seconds or less, what is the Mm -hmm. takeaway? If you could sum it up, what do you want to leave our listeners with? Oh, if, if if you want to really access your wisdom, your your unique wisdom, the wisdom that is only you, that only you can give us, that only you are able to put into the world, even if, it's, if it doesn't seem complicated or challenging or immense. It can be small. It can be delicate. It can be quiet. If you want to access that inner wisdom, then find some way, whether it's stopping or some other way, to be quiet, to be still, to be with yourself, because you are an immense treasure and you have an immense amount of wisdom. And if you're still enough, long enough, you will hear it. And the great thing about stopping is you don't really have to do anything. It happens by itself. It's like a, it's like a computer scanning. And, and it, 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 the, the, the silence and the doing nothing does the work for you. And you might, you might not have some huge insight immediately, but in the long run, you will know and you'll remember what you want and who you are. David, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing this important information. And it has really been a pleasure speaking with you today. Joan, thank you. I really enjoyed it and I appreciate the time. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you feel lost on your journey to health and happiness? Then let us guide you on your path, personalized actions towards health. Your path is a series of choices you act on every day. We guide you on a personalized journey of dietary, exercise, genetic, supplement, and lifestyle choices that lead you to optimal health and happiness. Often taking the road less traveled leads to liberation. Your path is personal. Your journey, like you, is unique. Take action today. Head to bestpathforme.com. Again, that's bestpathforme.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach On Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Lisa Luckett, a life coach, speaker, and CEO of Cosmina Enlightened Living, a brand of kindness. Lisa is the author of the book, The Light in 9-11, Shocked by Kindness, Healed by Love. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Joan. Thank you so much for having me. Lisa, today you and I are going to talk about why life happens for you and not to you. And I love this topic 
because so many of us become a victim of our circumstances because we think things are happening to us. We get stuck in that mindset. So how do we shift when we understand that experiences are for our higher good? What happens to us when we get that belief? Well, it's, it's my opinion that, that we become the student observer of our life. So it's about seeing why we're here. We have this misnomer that we're here to be happy all the time, when in fact, we're actually here to struggle. We're in the human experience to, to experience contrast. And that contrast, so the lessons don't come when it's easy, the lessons come when it's hard. And so with each struggle we're presented with, it's an opportunity for growth. If we choose to be in what is the victim posture of, oh my gosh, this is happening to me, we're in fact on the back foot. We're, we're in the defensive posture, teetering on the edge. So, so it's a very vulnerable place, and, and it feels like there's no way out. If you can shift that one tiny prepositional word to and make it for, that life is happening for you, instead of saying, oh, my gosh, why did this happen to me? What am I going to do? You shift instead and say, wait a minute. Why is this happening for me? What am I being shown? What am I supposed to learn? And you are able to now be in an offensive posture where you're leaning into the situation and feeling much more powerful and much more empowered in your experience. You and I, in other conversations, we've spoken about things that we've experienced in our life that brought us to that fork in the road where we could go in one direction and stay stuck, or we could use the experience to bring us to a a really a potentially great place, which is what's happened for both of us. And I know in my life, it was by making the shift that you're talking about to try to find the blessing, to reframe my thought process, to see that there are blessings in disguise out of every situation. That changed my life, that one thing that I did. Absolutely. To react and have pain and feel victimized. The choice is whether you want to stay there or not. And, you know, to your point in in other conversations where you got yourself up off the floor and you went forward because you just couldn't stand it anymore. Well, most of us can reach that place. But one of our issues today is in our society and our culture. There's no training. We're not being shown this by any leadership, uh, which is part of a much, much, much bigger story, which I would love to get into in depth as we go forward. But so the idea that it's okay to be a victim for a minute. It's okay to lick your wounds. It's okay to say, wow, this really stinks. But. When we can take that next step and we literally pivot, we shift by 10 or 15 degrees and we say, wait a minute, what am I being shown here? What was my experience in this? What did I do? What was my part of bringing this together, bringing this on? There's always silver linings in any of our experiences if we choose to see them. And part of that is being able to say, why is this happening for me? Because if we're on the planet to struggle, then life is our classroom and the struggles are the lessons. That's how we are learning, and that's how ultimately we're all aiming for wisdom. We're all aiming to be better for having lived it. We're all aiming to, you know, live these, this 100-year experience and, you know, to a place, place of mastery. I was going to ask you, is there a strategy to help someone do this? But every time I, I was going to say these words, Lisa, I kept thinking, you know, what Nike said, just do it. If I were to say to you, how do we encourage someone to do this outside of saying, just do it? Is there, you know, are there some words of wisdom you can share? Well, what are you, what are you losing by shifting away from your victimization? That's really kind of the, the crux of this problem is that we get attention for being, being victims. We get people to do things for us. We, we get sympathy. We get what is, in fact, negative attention. But it speaks to a fact that, that maybe none of us really got enough attention as children. You know, that, that we need attention. We're not satisfied. We haven't been heard enough. So it, it's a part, that's part of the growing and the maturing and the wisdom aspect of learning from our experiences at any age. I mean, you can actually track this back and, and decide you're going to shift and do a little exercise and look at all of the experiences in your past and see what was graced in them, what was learned from them, where where the silver linings were, the unbelievable, magnanimous aspect of the humanity that showed up for you, the people that loved you, the friendships that were there. That's always, that's always available in all of our experiences. 
Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about this topic or Lisa and her work, you can visit lisaluckett.com. Or as always, to hear more from Lisa, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Lisa. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Sometimes it feels like the world is spiraling out of control. And when it does, we may wonder how we can stand strong and not be controlled by fear, stress, or frustration. According to today's guest, Jeannie Nigro, we can thrive no matter what the circumstances. Jeannie is the author of the book, Unshaken, Standing Strong in Uncertain Times. She's a speaker and author whose background spans the corporate ministry and political worlds. Jeannie is the founder of Jeannie Nigro Ministries and was a congressional candidate from New York City. Welcome, Jeannie. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Jan. Jeannie, we certainly have been facing challenges that make getting through any day a struggle. You believe that intimacy with God is the key to standing strong, no matter what is happening in a person's life or in the world. What does it mean to have an intimacy with God? That's a great question, Joan. Intimacy with God, to me, is when we really see what He sees and feel what He feels. It's like a oneness with Him. So how He feels about us, how He thinks about us, that's how we think about ourselves. So, for example, he delights in us, he sees us as his masterpiece, he enjoys spending time with us, and so when we see ourselves that way, we experience intimacy with him. On the other hand, when we are down on ourselves, when we're beating ourselves up, when we have shame, all those types of things we can talk about in a few minutes, but that's when we, we block intimacy with him. So it's really seeing what he sees, feeling what he feels, um, thinking what he thinks, and saying what he says is all a part of intimacy with God. You said that there are things that can block it. What are some of the intimacy blockers? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's, uh, Jen, to me, the, one of the most important things to be aware of is what blocks intimacy with God. I think sometimes we think of intimacy with God as this far out there thing that nobody can really attain, but it's really in the moment by moment that we are either experiencing intimacy with God or we're not. And it's those moment by moment things that we all experience, and the most common thing is stress, for example. I mean, stress is an intimacy blocker. You know, when we're stressed, when, I, when I'm stressed, I don't experience intimacy with God at all. You know, when I'm fearful, when I'm angry, frustrated, when I'm down on myself, you know, when I'm feeling shame and beating myself up, all those times, all those, um, those feelings, those negative emotions, those are all intimacy blockers because really they're based on lies. You know, they're based on lies about how, who we are and they're based on lies about who God is. And whenever, um, you know, Satan's the father of lies, so whenever we're believing lies, we're really giving the enemy ground and we're not experiencing intimacy with God. Tell us more about these lies. Yeah, the, um, so, so for example, when, uh, like I said, when I'm not experiencing intimacy with God when I'm down on myself. So I struggle personally with old messages. Now, sometimes we, you know, get messages growing up, we get messages from our, our families, from, you know, authority figures in our life, from religion, from the culture, from all kinds of places. We get these messages or lies about ourselves. And, for example, I might think that I'm bad or, you know, when something's wrong, I'm 100% responsible. You know, it's not the other person, it's not the situation, I take all the blame on myself. Or maybe I feel like, I'm responsible for holding people together, or I have to be strong all the time, or I'm, uh, uh, I deserve punishment, or I deserve rejection. You know, all those, those are lies that end up really driving us. For example, when I fear, I might fear that I'm on my own, I'm all alone, I'm abandoned. Those are lies I believe on myself. Or lies we believe about God might be, um, you know, we're not good enough for him. He's, he's had it with us. He's mad at me. Uh, you know, I blew it in this marriage, and so there's no way that he could love me as much as someone who has a perfect marriage. You know, so there's things that we don't even realize sometimes that we're believing about ourselves and about God. Uh, but when we do, what happens is we don't even realize that we're believing, but we act out of it. You know, we act out of it by um, by fear, by stress, by being shut down, by being depressed. You know, all those are uh, almost like symptoms of believing a lie. So they keep us from seeing ourselves the way God sees us. Absolutely, absolutely. 
you know, he, uh, all throughout the Bible, you know, every, since the very beginning, he's always been making a way uh, for us to be close to him, for us to um, to dwell with him. And uh, just constantly, I have to remind myself that he delights in me. He desires me. He um, enjoys being with me. Sometimes I think he misses me when I'm sleeping. <laughs> so he really, he desires intimacy with us really more than we could ever with him. And so when we have a God like that, he's actually um, initiating you're drawing us to him who desires to be with us. I think, you know, sometimes, Jen, I think that his love is just so different from anything else we've ever experienced that it's hard for us to believe. <laughs> but yet, it's true. And I think when we really grasp that, uh, it's really the only thing that can never change and that can never be taken away from us. You know, other people will let us down. Other people reject us at the end of us. But God never will. And I think when we can really hold on to what doesn't change, then that enables us to be unshaken in these uncertain times. So, Jean, you have a deep, love for God. And and for somebody who says, I want to have that love, I want to have that intimacy, but for me, I I can't hug him, I can't feel him, he's not sitting here, you know, Mm -hmm. I can't see him. How does somebody get to that deep level of affection that you have? Absolutely. That's a great question. I think you think about, what helps me is to think about just a relationship with a friend or, you know, another human being that we know. We get to know them the more time we spend with them, you know, the more time we spend talking with them. Well, you know, for example, we just got together for coffee with a friend, but we didn't say anything to each other. We wouldn't really know each other very well. It would take a long time to get to know each other. And it's kind of thing with God. It's really, to me, it's a, like an ongoing conversation. So the good thing is that, he, like I said, he desires that intimacy with us more than we do of him. So, you know, that's one thing going for us in the, from from the start. People want to think, oh, what do we have? I can't pray like other people. You know, I, I can't talk to God like other people. I don't, and I know that feeling. I mean, you might say, well, I have a deep love for God, but yet I can be, look at myself and say, I don't have a love for God like that person does. So there's always someone that we think, you know, has a better relationship with God or is more worthy of God, whatever. And I think if we just um, have that conversation with him, and he so desires, we have to remember that he so desires us, that it's almost like any move of our heart, he is thrilled. And so if we just say, God, you know, I want to know you. I don't know who you are. I don't even believe, no, I even believe in you. But show me. You know, show me more. You know, show me. I hear that you desire me. What does that mean? You know, show me what that means. And he is so faithful to take us wherever we are, you know, and um, and, and to answer our, our question. And, and he desires truth in our inmost parts, and, and to me that means that he really desires these lies that we believe in our hearts, these old messages, these, and sometimes I call them strongholds in our hearts. He desires to bring healing. He desires to bring light into those dark places. And so if we just say, you know, God, I, I can't, you know, I think I'm a, I'm a loser, you know, I'm, I'm, I deserve rejection, or I'm bad, or I always blow it, or how could I do this? You know, all the things that we can beat ourselves up with and say, but God, I, I hear that you see me differently. I don't believe it. Show me more. Just say, show me more. And a simple question, or a simple um, you know, conversation like that with God. And He is so faithful. And the thing is that He will reveal Himself to you in a way that means something to you. And He'll speak to you, or He'll show you through a friend, through a sunset, you know, through a moon, through any, you know, all kinds of different ways that He might speak to you, but it'll be in a way that means something to you that is special to you, so that you know that it's really from Him directly to you. Jenny, why do you think some people have lost their faith in God today. What do you think is happening in our society that is keeping us, and in addition to the, the blockers that you mentioned, what do you think is happening as a mm-hmm. society? Gosh, I think that, um, for, for one, because there's so many things that are shaking, you know, that I think sometimes we can feel like, well, that means that God's not here. Like maybe he's forgotten about us, or maybe he's just kind of sitting on the sidelines watching this happen, or some people might even believe, you know, biblically it is the end times, so that means God's not really, you know, part of this plan. You know, there's all kinds of things, there's theological, you know, thing, um, areas that people can believe. Um, uh, um, but I think, I think this person from, because things are changing so rapidly, all the things that we used to look to to never change are changing. Um, we never really know what's going to happen next. You know, there's a lot of division, there's a lot of violence, there's um, a lot of unrest you know, governmentally. So I think just all, you know, there's always been change, but it seems like there's you know, just so much changing at the same time at such a rapid speed. Plus, we have so much information available, you know, that we're getting bombarded by media and news. You know, sometimes it can be a good thing, but obviously it can be a bad thing. There's just so much of it that we start to feel so confused. And so I think it's just uh, almost like an overload right now. And I think if we um, don't take time to just kind of step away from it and, and say, okay, wait, I want to hear what God says about this. I've got to focus on 
you know, sometimes I, I remind my, it's in the book and I forget and have to remind myself personally, focus on what we do know, not on what we don't know. And I think in this world, there's so much we don't know. You know there's so much uncertainty, so much information, so much, what do we trust? What do we believe? And I think we have to step back from that and say, wait, what, what do we know? And really all we do know for sure is who God is and how he sees us. Well, I think that's a great point, Jeannie, because, you know, most of us focus on what we don't know. We focus on what we fear, what we think may happen, what we fear may happen. Mm -hmm. And most of those things never do happen. And and so we spend so much time worrying about what might be instead of focusing on what is right here in front of us, what we know, the truth. Yeah, absolutely. And that was my own life. I'm going through a lot of different um, areas of change, and I have to stop continuing and think, wait a minute, I'm really spending on my mind. Where's my mind right now? And sometimes we stop and realize there's so much of our thoughts that are, we only have so much emotional energy, you know, and and we're spending 95% of it on what we don't know. You know, we've got to twist, turn that around and spend 95% on what we do know and five on what we don't know. know? So I think we all fall prey to it, and it's just a matter of... um, kind of having to have that discipline every once in a while to really stop and think, am I focusing on what I do know or what I don't know? And, and mm-hmm. just to make an adjustment there. And I think, you know, you were talking about going through some challenging times. I've gone through really challenging times. And, and one of the things that I believe, this is my personal belief, is that there is a plan for our life, that, that God has a plan for our lives. And when you look at life that way, it really does change things. You know, and I'm not saying that when my mother died or my sister died or my father died, like that those are good things. Mm -hmm. But I have learned to see the beauty and the gifts from those situations. So when I look back, it's almost like in a way, you know, those were moments that were for my greater good. I learned lessons that helped me move forward in life. And And I think that we all have these puzzle pieces of a plan and, it, you know, when you can learn how to put them together, you can see that there is a mystery and a miracle in everything that does occur. Absolutely. And, and you know, another thing that really helped, has helped me recently and all, I mean, it seems like every area, well, definitely every area of my life has changed in a short period of time. And, and I have to, you know, every once in a while, God will just remind me. And it's so healing to me. He'll just say, do you think this is a surprise to me? You know, I was like, oh, that's right. It's not. And nothing is a surprise to God. Like, he knew before the beginning of time what you're going to be going through right now. You know, it's not like he had this plan and all of a sudden you blew it and that's it, you know, or he had this plan and then, you know, there was the lockdown and then, you know, now nothing's ever the same. It's like, wait a minute, nothing is a surprise to him. And he had a, a solution you know, before there was a problem. And so that's always reassuring to me to say, wait, yeah, he has the bigger plan that was, you know, designed before we were even born. And, and obviously for the world, he has a plan and we have so much to look forward to and there's so much that, the Bible tells us that we, we do know about the future that we can really look forward to. Um, but the fact that nothing is a surprise to him and that he's with us, and, and, and I think that really helps me when I make a mistake and I feel like I want to beat myself up and, and feel like, okay, I blew it for my life now. Like, I, you know, God had this very plan for me, but I blew it. Like, no, he knew in advance every mistake you're going to make, mm-hmm. and he still has a good plan for your life. Jeannie, what about if someone says to you, okay, look, we're, you know, we've been through a pandemic, we have mm-hmm. war. We have, um, you know, financial problems. There's so much pain in the world. How could this be God's plan? Yeah, well, I think we have to look at what is his long-term plan. And so I think we have to look at where we are in the bigger picture, you know, that we are we're heading toward uh, a time when there is uh, everything on the earth as it was designed to be. Right now, it's not how it was designed to be. You know, there's evil, there's sin, there's a lot of, you know, things that are blocking really um, how it's designed to be. But in the meantime... I think we have to realize that it's not a surprise to God, and it's not a mistake that we're alive right now. Because I think sometimes we think, and I don't know, I'm always reminiscing and sharing with my daughter about oh, the way it was back in the 70s or whatever, and this, this, or that, but we have to think, wait a minute, it's not a mistake to God, there's no surprise to Him that we're alive right now, and that He has a purpose for us in the midst of this imperfect world that we're in. I mean, yes, there's, um, you know, there's unrest, there's wars, there's all these things that you know, come about because of lies, because of sin, because of you know, Satan's work here and on the earth, but we have to realize that it's not a mistake that we're here. God has a purpose for us here, and when we're aligned with Him, when we're in intimacy with Him, when we're seeing how He sees and feeling, you know, how, help me, Lord, I don't like this person, help me to see them as you do, help me to feel what you feel for toward these people or toward this this party or toward this country, whatever it is, and when we are, um, it's like we are His ambassadors, you know, we are releasing His purposes in the midst of this darkness so that we can... Um, we can stand for and um, you know advance his plan right now his 
righteousness or his freedom or his healing or his restoration in someone's lives. And I think we have to start with, um, we can get really carried away by what's happening in the news that we may not be able to have a direct impact on, but we have to look at what can we have a direct impact on you know, in our life, in the, in the sphere of influence that we have for the people that we interact with at the doctor's office or the grocery store or at work or just the moment by moment, how can we you know, be um, God's light in those situations and, and really make an impact for him in, the, in the, um, the world that he has us in. And that's what we can have an impact on. And then we can pray and um, for the bigger picture, you know, but we have to really take responsibility for where we are at and in, in the words and emotions that we are using in the day to day. The book is Unshaken, Standing Strong in Uncertain Times. If you'd like to learn more about Jeannie and her work, you can visit JeannieNigroMinistries.com. Jeannie, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Joan. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I am Bertha Robinson, business coach with Star One Professional Services. I often get asked the question, what is the difference between a coach and a consultant? Many expect a coach to give advice or to be a mentor and show the way. However, a coach's role is not to advise or lead you. Rather, it is the coach's role to help you discover for yourself where you currently are and where you want to go. Once you identify the path you want to take, your coach travels the journey with you to provide support, guidance, and encouragement. To illustrate, let me ask you, what is the best way to teach a child to ride a bicycle? Should you present a PowerPoint presentation that informs the child about the dynamics of balance and pedaling mechanics, the consultant approach, or should you get on the bike and show the child how it's done, the mentor approach? The time-proven method is to help the child onto the bicycle and provide support as the child learns through trial and error how to ride for themselves. Over time, trying, failing, and trying again, the child eventually learns how to ride the bike independently. The coach's role is to provide support, guidance, and encouragement as you move into uncharted territories of your life and beyond the comfort zone of past experiences. You will gain more courage to strive for new goals, develop new skills, and reach for higher levels of success with your coach running beside you. To learn more, reach out to me, Bertha Robinson, at 732 705 5060 or visit my website star1professional.com You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. You've made a substantial financial investment in getting the project done and you have a beautiful publication with your name on the cover. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude Change Your Life Book Club, a resource guide created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life includes the work of some of the most inspirational and influential authors in the world. Shouldn't you be there too? Let's get started. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. to your health. Joining me today is Mark Anthony, the founder of Prospect Fitness located in Brooklyn, New York. Mark is also the vice president of operations for Diet Typing Systems, an online personalized diet therapy system. He's here today to discuss mitochondrial efficiency. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me on today. So, Mark, mitochondrial efficiency, this sounds so important. What exactly is it and how does it impact our life? Mitochondrial efficiency has to do with how effectively your body produces energy. It also deals with how well you care for your mitochondria, which ultimately leads to a healthy body. Mitochondria are little bacteria-like organelles, structures located in our cells. There are many functions of of the mitochondria. However, the primary purpose of mitochondria is to produce energy for our bodies from the food that we eat and the air we breathe. Mitochondria can also regulate the atmosphere of the cell, respond to hormones, and are responsible for cell death. Roughly 70 billion cells die in an adult body every day. So then how does our diet affect mitochondrial efficiency? Our diets probably have the greatest effect on mitochondrial efficiency. Without proper nutrients like B vitamins, coenzyme Q10, alpha-lipoic acid, and antioxidants, the mitochondria do not function well. 
A poor diet can also lead to the destruction of the mitochondria's DNA, which research is learning can lead to diseases like cancer, Parkinson's, and autism. Can we help our bodies create more mitochondria? Absolutely. Exercise is probably one of the best ways to build mitochondrial density. Our cells have a range of a few dozen mitochondria to several thousand per cell, with most cells having one to 2,000 mitochondria. Mitochondria can possibly make up to 40% of our biomass. The more the body senses the need for greater energy through exercise, the more the cells will pack them with mitochondria. Since mitochondria are part of the body that burns fat, the more you have, the greater your chances for weight loss success. Also, you will want to do both strength training and cardio exercise to build mitochondrial density. Where can our listeners go to get more information about you and your work? As always, you can visit our website, prospectfitness.com. Mark, thank you so much for being here. This is such an interesting topic. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. You've put your heart and soul into writing a book. You've made a substantial financial investment in getting the project done. And you have a beautiful publication with your name on the cover. So, how do you reach your potential readers? Introducing the Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life Book Club, a resource guide created for books that change lives. A book featured gets recognized. Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life includes the work of some of the most inspirational and influential authors in the world. Shouldn't you be there too? Let's get started. For more information, visit cyacyl.com slash book club. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided is the opinion of our guest and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on our site, listen to past shows on demand, read the digital magazine, sign up for our mailing list, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.